Hi, and welcome to the Drawing Inspiration Podcast. I am your host, Mike Hendley. Episode 10, Watercolor with Anna Bucciarelli. So I'm going to keep my updates as short as possible so we can get on with the interview. So since the last episode, I've done some more outdoor painting, um, sketching and painting, I should say. So I've been spending more time with uh, inking um, some sketches, some outdoor buildings. Uh, some of uh, some of these have been part of uh, some local artist meetups. And uh, included with that is doing some watercolor over top the ink. And I will talk about that in a, a future episode in more detail, but I all that to say that it's been great uh, kind of connecting with other artists and having the opportunity to chat and to talk about uh, the kind of work that we're doing and some of the tools that we use. And so that's been great. And, you know, with regard to the tools, I was using a Sakura uh, Koi watercolor set, and I've since moved to, well, I should say since moved, the last two pieces I've done. I've been using the Daniel Smith uh, um, paints, and so what I did is I bought some uh, plastic uh, full-and-half pans. These are tiny little squares that you would hold your paint in, so I bought those on Amazon, and I bought a couple of metal kits, and so what you do is you load the paint into these pans, let them dry, and you can put your own little kit together, and so the advantage with that is I got to choose kind of my own palette, so I was able to create my own palette. And I used a blog post, I'll include it in the show notes, to kind of determine what colors I wanted to put together. And so I purchased those and I built my pans. It's taken, I think, maybe two weeks almost for the uh, the paints to dry, but I had a chance in the last couple of days to use them and it's been great. Um, they are different. Um, the saturation's much higher. Uh, it's been a pleasure working with these paints, so I'm going to continue to use them as I continue to kind of expand my kit. And I think the next episode, I'll talk about some other changes I've done to make all of this a more pleasant experience uh, with regard to uh, drawing and uh, painting outside. So this is a uh, kind of a funny thing that my daughter, my oldest daughter had mentioned to me. Uh, we were on vacation and I was painting, uh, sketching and painting inside and uh, she was beside me and she's not usually sitting near me when I'm doing this kind of work but she was at the time and she was noticing that I was breathing like a musician and I thought that was odd because I am not a musician but her comment was around my painting and that before I would you know take um, and do a stroke whether it was sketching or painting I would take kind of a breath and then I would exhale as I'm doing that stroke or that piece. And I would do this on a regular basis. And I think it was uh, very observant of her to, to kind of see that and connect it back to being a musician, this idea of, of pulling in that breath and then exhaling as part of uh, you know, doing your piece. And um, so I, it was just an interesting observation. I never really noticed it before, but I now that she's mentioned it, I notice I do it all the time. And I'm just curious, uh, if you do it, do you go through this? Like, next time you are drawing and painting, observe your breathing pattern. Uh, I assume it probably slows down because, you know, this kind of experience should be uh, relaxing. But when do you breathe? Do you take in a breath? And then do you exhale as you, as you draw that line, as you, as you paint that piece? I might be curious to hear that. So with that, let's head straight to the interview with Anna Bucciarelli. When beginning your art journey, the next step for many after drawing and sketching is painting. My guest today is a professional illustrator who has taken a very unique style of Eastern European painting 
and given it her own unique and contemporary spin that has resulted in her beautiful and delicate watercolor work appearing on millions of coffee cups, and yes, even Canadian currency. I've been inspired by her work on Instagram for some time, but today I am so thrilled to say welcome to the show, Anna Bucciarelli. Hi, Mike. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining me. This is exciting. I've been observing your work, and I feel, especially with some of it, I don't want to breathe because I worry I'm going to knock the pedals out of place. <laughs> yeah, I tend to be uh, uh, like more hyper-realistic in my watercolors, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy to chat with you, and uh, it's nice to connect to a fellow Canadian artist. <laughs> Absolutely. So I think it would be good to maybe start with where you came from with this. I, I always think it's interesting to find out, like as an artist, what did you, how did you start this journey? And, you know, did it come to you as a kid or later in life? Or how did it start um, for you? Um, good question. I actually I kind of had a, a bit of a false start when I was a kid. Um, I was born in Ukraine. And uh, I painted a lot from what I understand my parents are telling me that I, I always um, scribbled and, you know, I loved playing around with gouache and eventually went to art school. And the only thing I really um, felt like I was good at at the time was uh, folk art. So like a traditional art school would teach you drawing and painting techniques. And I wasn't very good at it, or I didn't feel like I was good at it. I didn't feel encouraged. Uh, but I, I kind of stuck with it for a few years, maybe until I was a teenager and uh, eventually got into folk art. And that sort of really uh, opened up a, a new world of possibilities for me because decorative art is... Um, it's not not as strict as say traditional fine art and so um i just went wild with uh, gouache flowers and um, that sort of thing um really enjoyed it for a couple of years and then um we moved to canada and um for about a decade or so i didn't paint at all it just wasn't kind of um top of mind for me i was uh, studying business and um you know art was uh um, not uh, my main pursuit. And then <clears throat> my, I guess my real start <laughs> happened uh, a lot later um, in my 30s. Uh, and um, it simply because I think in retrospect, I um, it was a period in my life when I sort of had to slow down. Um, I was on maternity leave and, um, you know, I painted a lot more um, and uh, didn't really put any pressure on myself um, to kind of produce anything, you know, big and successful. I just sort of did it as a form of meditation uh, late at night. And uh, it, it was kind of interesting because, it, it, you know, at the time, uh, social media was uh, booming and like so many artists on Instagram and st people started encouraging me to post. And uh, um, that's how my first clients found me. So the rest is history. <laughs> That's awesome. they say. <laughs> yeah. It was uh, a bit of a fluke, but uh, here I am now. In preparation for the show, I had looked into um, this type of Ukrainian folk art. And mm -hmm. um, can you talk a little bit about that and maybe describe it? It's going to be hard through, obviously, without video. But if you can describe it for the listeners as to the this kind of folk art, because um, I'm yeah. looking, it's like maybe 300 years old. Um, yeah, it's I mean, it's it's a it's a magical style. And um, I think... Um, the majority of listeners would be 
more familiar with um, uh, something like Scandinavian folk art that became wildly popular uh, in recent years, which again, I think really um, helped me in terms of my career boost as an artist. But um, Scandinavia is uh, relatively close to the area where I'm from, which is like Russia, Ukraine. And um, there are lots of different styles in, in that area of Europe in general. But um, specifically what I studied, and I studied with uh, kind of a, um, an, one of the masters that focus on um, the style called Petrikivka, um, which is a Ukrainian, very unique Ukrainian style of folk art that comes from a small village um, in Ukraine. And um, it's uh, um, essentially full of uh, organic motifs, similar to Scandinavian folk art. You know, you get a little bit of um, animals and birds sometimes, but it's mostly flowers and nature. And it's kind of a um, it has a very specific visual language. So um, the strokes that are used are, um, from what I understand, are evolved um, just based on the materials that people had around them. And believe it or not, like the brushes that they used um, originally and the brushes that I used when I was studying were made out of cat hair. Oh, now, really? No, no cats were harmed during the process. <laughs> it was it was a, a very gentle kind of process of just borrowing a couple of strands of hair from a cat. And uh, my lovely cat uh, back in the day was very cooperative. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's it's very kind of like um, do it yourself kind of thing. And I think um, that was really appealing to me. We also painted a lot with fingers, so. There were certain uh, strokes and uh, techniques that uh, involved just fingers and paint. And so it's like very uh, uh, intuitive way of uh, um, representing nature around you. And so I learned all the original strokes. And um, from there, interestingly, years later, I mean, who would have guessed? But uh, right now when I work uh, digitally, um, a lot of the strokes that I use in um, my commercial projects, like, for example, my new coloring collection that's uh, coming out next week, um, they're all Petrikivka strokes. Um, one of my early big successful projects, uh, which was the Starbucks Red Cup, um, that ended up being sold in countries all over the world. Um, again, it, it in, involved um, using those basic folk art strokes that uh, I learned when I was 11 um, back home. My watercolors, which is sort of what I'm mostly known for, you know, people always say, oh, they're so vibrant, they're so um, kind of hyper-realistic. All of it is informed by kind of my my background in Petrikivka because Petrikivka doesn't use watercolors. It's mostly like gouache and tempera based, okay. uh, very saturated colors. And so I try to bring that um, aesthetic into my watercolors and I use a lot of like saturated pigments and thick layers. So I feel like I owe uh, my style uh, in any medium that I use today to my training back then. What I noticed, I will talk about some of the Skillshare courses that you have available, some of the videos. And what I noticed in watching those is that you can see that in your technique. And I've watched a lot of uh, videos just trying to become a better artist to, uh, to understand watercolor. And I see that the way that you apply it is very different than others. And I find that so um, 
I'm going to say inspiring because I'm coming from realism with regard to graphite and being able to mm-hmm. see how you're able to lay down the watercolor and, and and be able to guide the paint on top of that, you know, whether it's a wet on wet or a dry on wet or, or, or whatever technique, uh, you're able to, to be able to throw down that color in a way that preserves that kind of realism I find so compelling. Cool. Thank you. You know, we'll talk about that a little bit later about the where people can find some of this stuff. But I think that you can see that. And it is, it's so fantastic to hear that something you did when you were 10 or 11 <laughs> is... Yeah is continuing to, to live with you. And I think that your interpretation of that original kind of Ukrainian folk art um, is, is wonderful. And I, this is part of the exploration I think we have to do as artists, right? Is being able to move what we've learned into establishing our own voice. That's a really good point. And I um, thank you for, for mentioning it, Mike. I think that's sort of key to keep in mind as I, um, like I get a lot of questions on inst- Instagram and Facebook from folks asking me like, how do I get started? And uh, my biggest advice, other than, you know, get uh, professional watercolor paper, <laughs> is, uh, like, don't get caught up in trying to, you know, copy someone else's style or trying to follow the rules of, uh, you know, the kind of the, the fine art, because that didn't really serve me well early on. And it actually was quite discouraging. I think our goal as artists, and we're all artists, if we're painting, um, you know, it doesn't matter if you're big beginner or if you've been working for years um, it's a discovery process it's a self self-expression process and so your style at the end of the day will always be informed by your experiences whether it's uh, you know whether you're starting digitally or with traditional media it's your view of the world that it's how you see the world it's how you interpret what you see and so the best thing you can do is just kind of forget about the rules for a bit. And yeah, I mean, technique is important and it comes with time and practice, but to really, really get the most out of your materials and the most out of the time that you spend is to kind of refer to your own vision and really kind of try to explain how you see the world. And I mean, I see it as a folk artist for (laughs) better or worse, but uh, you know, there, there's, uh, there's so many things that uh, we can share with people through our art. And uh, I think that's kind of the best part of the journey, right? Absolutely. So I wanted to go back to that point when you were working in business, and you were doing this, and maybe we can talk about the meditative experience a little bit later, but you were doing this uh, in the evenings. And <laughs> late at night, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so maybe late at night's appropriate rather than evening, right? Uh, so you're doing this late at night. At what point did you decide what I'm doing at night is, is, has to trump what I'm doing during the day? Like at what was the what was the tipping point for you? I'm just curious as to, you know, f- for people who are going through a similar experience, what, what happened where you said, you know what, uh, this is where I need to be, not back here? So that's a really good question. And I hear this a lot as I listen to a lot of uh, kind of art illustration related creative podcasts, you know, like there's even one I think called quit your day job or something, um, or don't quit your day job. I think It's a very difficult question because we all have to, you know, when we're starting out, we have to pay the bills. And in my case, I have a family and, uh, you know, going freelance, uh, full-time freelance is not an easy decision. And I think in in general, if I speak sort of not just to my experience, but in in general, it requires a lot of uh, thought and preparation because uh, getting started getting clients takes time, right? Mm -hmm. So in my case, you know, I worked 
late at night on freelance projects for a few years. And I had a pretty good roster of clients um, at the time when I ended up going freelance. So that preparation sort of happened over the years and I didn't rush myself. Um, but interestingly, and this is uh, completely my own experience and uh, it's not the kind of the happiest story, but um, it is what it is. I was never really planning to go full time. I was quite happy, you know, working uh, where I was working because, you know, I worked for a long time on my career and uh, I was enjoying it. Uh, and I really enjoyed that aspect of art where I didn't have to take every commercial project out there. I, I was very selective. So, um, you know, if I didn't want to take commercial projects on, I basically did personal work that I enjoyed. And, and it was sort of a form of meditation and self-expression for me. Unfortunately, uh, due to some circumstances with my one of my kids, I had to leave work. Essentially, I had to um, become a stay-at-home mom, okay. uh, if you will. Uh, and I'm very, very fortunate that, you know, I can continue kind of supporting myself financially and my family as well. Uh, and, you know, I'm very lucky. My, my husband uh, uh, obviously uh, takes care of us too. But I sort of had everything ready when um, I was sort of forced to make that decision to to become a full-time artist. But uh, again, this is this is kind of a very uh, unique uh, situation. I do realize, um, just again, also based on questions that people ask me on social media, that a lot of people are kind of toying with that idea of leaving their day job and, uh, you know, switching to art. And I always say one thing, like if you, you have to prepare yourself for at least a year to do this successfully right. so that you don't put a lot of undue stress on yourself. Because in my case, it was a smooth transition, but meaning I had clients, I had a following, I developed a sense of style. So I'm confident in, in my future in that respect. But yeah, and I, <laughs> I think that makes sense. No, it does. And I think, you know, so I think people need to know that it's not like a switch that you flip one day to say, boom, this is it. There's planning, there's an easing into it. And I think, yeah. and, and I wanted to ask you, like, when I look at your Instagram, it's beautiful, like your art, it's so colorful and vibrant. But the art I'm looking at, is that the art that's, that's driving your revenue? Like, <laughs> it's yeah. not necessarily, is it? Is it? Is that the passion that I'm seeing? Is that the stuff that you love doing? Uh, not that you don't love doing your freelance work. But the work that's paying the bills is the stuff that we're not seeing. Is that? That's a very, that right? very good question. And this is a very important thing to consider, again, for anyone who is considering a full-time career as an artist. So the short answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not, not really. So essentially... Um, I work across a variety of mediums. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm like you said, what you see is color. What I'm known for is watercolors. I'm actually like watercolor is more of a self-thought th thing for me. I'm a lot more, I would say, if I may say so myself, I'm a lot more skilled at uh, drawing and um, kind of black and white uh, type illustration. And so the majority of projects that I get, I think clients are attracted to me because my colors and my shapes speak to them. But what I end up doing, I would say 80% of the time is line art and black and white. And it's 99% of the time digital, right. because that's uh, sort of the nature of the industry, right? And uh, to be able to use any kind of work uh, in, in commercial applications, you have to be able to digitize it. And so I 
obviously have a, um, also a stream of income just from uh, private commissions and watercolors and the original paintings that I sell. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not uh, necessarily what uh, kind of pays the big bucks. So um, where I'm, I've been very lucky and um, kind of uh, enjoyed uh, this whole experience of uh, going commercial over the course of a few years is, um, as you mentioned early on, I do a lot of designs for Canadian Royal Mint. So a lot of the uh, kind of the um, collectible coins that Canada releases. Uh, So I I do designs uh, for those coins. And in the beginning, that work was all digital. I used my Cintiq and later on my iPad Pro. But um, recently, I was getting opportunities to come up with coins that feature watercolors and digital art. So, you know, now I have these amazing experiences where I paint something in watercolor, which I love, um, you know, like really colorful flowers. Then I bring it into Photoshop or Procreate app and I add digital elements and they end up on silver or gold dollar coins. So that's uh, that's a very unique kind of way of working. But um, going back to your original questions, what you see on my Instagram is not what sells the the most. Right. And I think that's and, and I think it's beautiful and I think it's fantastic that people share this uh, that they see your work, but they share their own. And I just, I think it's important for people to realize that, you know, there's a lot more in the background. And I think people need to be careful about monetizing hobbies. And right. As you say, it's meditative. And I find the same with me too, whether it's graphite or digital or now watercolor, there is a bit of meditation that that comes with that. There's an experience of sitting down and doing something for one, two, three, four hours creatively, and you walk away from it and you feel better. Yes, Absolutely. Um, I think that um, everything, so everything I I have now in terms of commercial work came from those early days of, you know, just sitting down with a brush and uh, meditating, like you said, and, you know, I would never have the opportunities um, that I have right now if I didn't uh, share my watercolor work. And I think it appeals to people on a, like, on a completely different level. Um, you know, from what I understand, people enjoy watching my watercolor videos. And again, it speaks to that whole uh, point of, um, you know, you kind of uh, watch the paint and you can uh, forget about everything else. And it, it's a form of meditation. It's a form of expression. And, and I guess what they refer to as a state of flow, right? right? When you're completely just uh, unaware of the time passing. And, and uh, I think that's that's a magical quality of watercolor that I really enjoy. And uh I think a lot of people enjoy so. And I think that, um, and I've actually got one of your coins in front of me here, the Celebration of Love from 2019. Oh, cool. um, it is beautiful. I think that uh, we'll have links to all of this in the show notes. And I would encourage people to check this out because it is a beautiful piece. And uh, it's wonderful to see your work. We went and toured. My family and I went to the Canadian Mint, which is based in Ottawa, and we toured the facility. And it was great to be able to walk out uh, with one of your coins. So Amazing. Um, it was fantastic. <laughs> Thank you. So I, I wanted to talk about, you know, you've had your work on Starbucks cups, and that was a big launching point for you. Would that be accurate? Um, As a matter of just getting... Yeah, it was, it was one, one of the points. It all sort of happened, uh, like there was a period around 2016, where I think after being on Instagram for about two years, because when did I start sharing? 2014 is when uh, I was pregnant and uh, then was on Matly for a while. So that was kind of the time that 
I started sharing my work. My first big project actually was doing an ad for Jaguar. Um, and then soon after that, there was Starbucks and uh, soon after that, the coin. So it was sort of a lot of things happened in, in a span of 12 months. But I think that's just like with everything, you know, you work for a while and then you kind of reach that tipping point where you're good enough and people start noticing you and you're kind of just see th- like it's like a snowball. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was it was Starbucks. We went to New York. There was a lot of publicity uh, in Canada specifically around that, you know, and there were lots of lots of other exciting work that happened during that year. And, you know, this, this, again, kind of speaks to the, the power of social media, because that project came because I was noticed on Instagram. So um, I always tell people, like, don't be afraid to share your work. Like, if you look at my early work that I was sharing in 2014, I mean, oh, I I should probably delete it, but I won't. Um, but I actually really really um, enjoy the the whole social aspect of it because you kind of get to see how people react, what they like, what they don't like. You see, you can go back and kind of see your own progress. I just I love technology. Um, I think you know it's, uh, it can be used for bad things, but it can be used for amazing things. So uh, yeah, I mean it, it was. Uh, It was a lot of kind of hard work up front and being consistent and sharing and engaging. And then 2006 is sort of when things started rolling. (laughs) And so how cool is it to be able to say that your art is on money? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I mean, is it still have its, uh, is it still? It's amazing. I'm not going to lie. It's a magical experience every time. And I've done a lot of um, other coins since then. And every one of them is different. And um, the amazing, amazing R&D team at Royal Mint, they always come up with something new. So there are a couple of uh, really cool coins coming up um, in the next couple of months that I can't even talk about. But uh, every time it's something like, uh, you know, I've done ones with Swarovski crystals, Uh, I've done ones with uh, my watercolor painted on the a coin it's it's just it's something new and exciting every time it's absolutely magical i think i my parents are super excited too <laughs> and my dad used to collect coins back in the day and I, they think this is like the coolest thing i've ever done so um it's it's really magical every every time and for me it's been a um like a really strange and surreal experience uh in a way because i would uh you know go to work and then be that person. I, like I was in operations for, for the longest time and I'm working with numbers and then I come home and I'm working with colors. And uh, it's kind of like a, a way of having a, a parallel life that's totally magical and amazing. So I'm very grateful. Well, I'm, and once again, I'm so glad that you're sharing this, uh, this superpower you have, <laughs> <laughs> this alter ego uh, with all of us through Instagram. So I think that's pretty cool. Thank you. So it, maybe we can talk a little bit about your process. And I think that's what is um, so valuable because I've I've watched your courses. I haven't done the actual paintings that you do because I like to be able to walk, you know, watch something and then go back and then do it step by step. But I think I've watched most of those videos two or three times just because it's so interesting because you do cover the process, the actual, the way you lay down the watercolor, uh, the, the way that, uh, you know, and I think what's interesting about that is you spend so much time about the tools and the paper. Yeah. Um, and maybe if we, if you can talk a little bit about that, because I think I tried watercolor, I'm going to say, I don't know, four years ago, five years ago. And I think what turned me off was the paper. I had the wrong paper. And as soon yes. as I applied the water, it kind of 
bound up like a piece of Kleenex. And <laughs> I was like, this is not fun. Why is it doing this? Right. And I think That's I probably right. had something that was 40, 50 pound and it turned me off. So maybe if you can talk about that. Yes. Thank you for bringing this up. I, I've actually, ever since I started teaching, there's a lot of kind of student teacher interaction that goes on, on like I teach through Skillshare. So I always communicate with my students and questions come up. And I, having done this for a long time, when I see a, a student project, I can tell right away what paper they're using. And I feel like there should be like a big poster printed on, on, on every wall in every art store. It's like, it's not you, it's your paper. <laughs> because, oh my goodness, like I cannot stress enough how much it matters um, with watercolor. Now, it matters with every medium. Obviously, better supplies, professional supplies will give you better results. With watercolor, it it's a it's a very unique situation where you cannot you simply cannot achieve the results that you want if you don't have a certain grade of paper. And if you give me student grade paper, I mean my work will suck, and it did suck in the beginning. And I think part of the reason why back in the day when I was a a, a kid and I was uh, going to art school and just it wasn't working for me I was really terrible I should probably do a YouTube video and just show you my early work like it was it was not good and I was technically not good but that comes with practice but I could never practice and get to where I wanted to go because the paper just wasn't there and it, it's just something that people need to know about watercolor when they're starting out I think what you said about you know being frustrated and kind of just you know you you try it and then you leave it because you don't want to continue because you don't see results that's so important I mean you want to enjoy what you're working on you want to see yourself progress you can't do it unfortunately with um, paper that's not cotton or below a certain weight so I use like anything between 140 and 300 pounds. Um, and that's what I tell all my students. The first thing you need to do is to invest in good paper. Once you have good paper, you will be blown away with things you can do. And you will never want to stop because it's kind of like this, I don't know, it's, I feel like it's a big secret in watercolor <laughs> community because there's so many tutorials. And uh, I obviously, before I started teaching, I, I binged on uh, all sorts of YouTube videos and Skillshare videos. And I always note this when people started teaching, they start with, uh, sometimes they just start with techniques. And I feel like screaming and pulling my hair out. I'm like, no, this, this, you have to talk about the materials you work with and it and it's funny because you know we spend a lot of time like some we as artists like if you go to the art store there's so many brushes there's so many paints and that's like maybe five percent of your success really like i work with for the most part one brush and i've went through every brand of paints out there and honestly i can probably get away with student grade paints and get the same results or close to what i do right now the only thing that matters is really how colors blend and sometimes the saturation and how long the those colors will last on paper which doesn't really matter if you're scanning it and and but paper is what will make or break your work so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think that I noticed that I, I've been doing some urban sketching. So I bought some really, really nice uh, paper um, just in a, a kind of urban sketch book. So it's kind of a landscape shape. And mm -hmm. uh, I'm just using water brushes. And uh, I've just, I don't remember it being this good. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think I would have stuck yeah. with it. 
And I did, yeah. like, we interacted a little bit on Instagram. So, you know, uh, you recommended a, a number four brush. I think it was a number four, the Kalinske, yeah. Uh, yeah. which I ordered. I just got it, I think, two days ago. So I'm anxious to try that out. But then the other thing that you, I had no idea existed, and this is my naivety around watercolor, is masking fluid. Yes. Because um, I had done a watercolor of a frog, and then you were talking about masking fluid. I'm like, that sounds like it could be helpful. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, preserving the white. There, there's so many cool um, materials that really uh, help, you, like can help you bring your vision to life. Uh, one of them is masking fluid because we, as, when we paint with watercolors, we paint light to dark. But another kind of uh, little secret is that if you use white watercolor, which sometimes is included in uh, like student sets, it's just not the same. You really want to keep the paper clear and the only way to do it for especially for small highlights is uh, masking fluid and it's also very fun to use so I think it just opens up so many possibilities so I always talk about uh, masking fluid as well in my classes yeah I think the uh, the, the transparency of, of the white paint just doesn't it never helps you um, mm-hmm. unless you move to something like a gouache which uh, you can yeah. work light to dark or dark to light correct completely yeah completely different medium uh also lots of fun actually a lot more commercially uh successful just speaking from my experience doing uh, surface design and like postcards and that kind of stuff uh but very different medium even though when you're working with it's still color and water those aspects of it like how do you actually build a shape and how do you because you're you're painting light essentially you're painting a form with watercolor um masking fluid is uh definitely a must-have tool it's i've had sitting on my table right beside me here so i'm I'm ready to use it (laughs) enjoy so i have a i have a question for you about uh you know when anna sits down to paint is there music that you listen to is there a time of day that you're more productive um just some of the insight into that is there do you have a a a a ceremony around it you know some people prepare a tea (laughs) or something like that is there how do you organize your day around um, and maybe we can lead into the next bit, which is, and so how does that interact with your your role as 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 a mom and as a partner? Um, and and how do you integrate the two? And, and maybe you can talk about that a little bit as well. Yeah, I mean, I I can um, tell you like up until recently, um, my days like the daytime was spent either at work in the office or at home taking care of kids on weekends. So I kind of need my peace and quiet to be able to get into whatever it is I'm doing, whether it's a personal project or um, like a commercial project, like a coin. Um, So I would wait until 9, 10 p.m. until people are asleep. um, And then I would uh, start working and obviously no coffee at that time, unfortunately. (laughs) But uh, I I do drink a lot of tea um, and I eat a lot of chocolate um, and maybe, I don't know, a glass of wine or whatever if it's the weekend. Uh, But definitely music. um, And sometimes I do live sessions on Instagram and uh, my music is very cheesy for the most part. Uh, Like, I listen to a lot of smooth jazz. So um, I have to like hide from my husband because he comes downstairs and uh, makes fun of me brutally for my musical taste. (laughs) It is what it is. So yeah, and like sometimes like some French music or something moody like Radiohead, um, you know, just nostalgic stuff and uh, I don't watch TV I think I stopped watching TV like 10 years ago Uh, but I sometimes put a show in the background too if it's like 
Game of Thrones or something like that. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I need that. I need kind of to be because, like we said, right? It's a form of meditation, so you kind of need to have uh, that space. Um, recently, I have a couple hours in the morning to paint, and uh, so that's new for me. It's actually been amazing because now that I don't don't go to the office, I work during the day uh, for a few hours, and again at night. Um, so I don't, I don't get the full day, but I do get a bit of sunlight. And so what that allowed me to do is uh, to make quality recordings of my work during the day. So usually during the day, I spend uh, either recording a class or a YouTube video. Um, unfortunately, it's virtually impossible to make a good uh, watercolor painting recording at night, even though I do have good uh, LED lamp and um, it's still not the same. So sunlight is key. Um, so I, I spend a lot of time um, just recording lessons and things like that. Do you find having those routines, um, especially in the evening, they help you get past any kind of creative block, especially if you're working on a, a client project? Do you find that that helps you or is there are there tricks that you do to yourself to say, okay, let's get going here? Um, Good question. I uh, I don't think I've ever really experienced creative block in a sense that like since I started, I'm I have two kids, two little kids, uh, and I until recently had a full time job, so I've had very limited time to paint or do a project. Like when I had a project, it was literally like I have um, an hour today, two hours tomorrow, and maybe an hour and a half the day after. I need to finish this. So what typically happens is um, I sort of daydream during the day, like if I'm, you know, in transit or whatever, and I, I think about stuff that I want to do at night. Okay. And that's been my, I've talked about this uh, kind of in my, um, some other podcasts where I was a guest, like I spend my time when I'm, when I don't have to think, like if I'm driving or whatever, I, th I think about the stuff that I want to paint. And then when that time comes, like I'm very aware of, um, you know, this is going to be the time when I'm painting and this is the only time I have today. I would say 99% of the time I'm ready. Like I know exactly what I want to do. Right. Um, so I don't know if it's a good thing to daydream throughout your day, but I guess that's what uh, a lot of artists do. I'm full of ideas. Like I, I have like a backlog. And if I sit down, um, if I finally get that hour... I'll come up with something for sure. So in a way, like I think time constraints were really beneficial to me because I'm I'm always productive when I'm paying. I never sit around and think, oh, what should I paint? And I think that's uh, that's interesting you talk about it that way because I've, I've, I've found that as well where you visualize what you're going to do. And when people see it on paper, in some ways, you've already seen it. Yeah. <laughs> it's been in my head. Yeah. I'm just allowing you to see it now. And that's uh, exactly it. Yeah. It is helpful to have that, you know, whether it is on a commute or in a meeting. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, hopefully not in a meeting. <laughs> well, it depends who's running the meeting. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, but to have those times where you can disconnect your mind from everything. And, and it's great to hear that, you know, that you do that and that people should, you know, consider that idea that you're, you're creating at least the structure of your art in your mind. And when we talk about that, so I'm going to jump into something else quickly is, you know, you talk about the drawing within your courses and uh, do you sketch a lot? Do you like when you're out and about, do you have a sketchbook with you or how do you work in that way? I don't. And I, it's probably not, I, I don't recommend it. I think sketching is good. I used to sketch, but simply by virtue of not 
having a lot of time. Like I, I, uh, I don't have the luxury of sketching. Right. I'm a lot better now that I have an iPad Pro and the new iPad. So I was very resistant to using um, an iPad before they came up with a new pencil. And then I tried it and now I do, like I completely abandoned my Cintiq. So I use <laughs> Apple. Uh, well, it's, it's, I mean, it's amazing. It's the first time that I've tried a digital pencil that actually feels like um, uh, the real thing. Like for, to me, it was a game changer because now if I go to, like I go to an appointment or I have to go anywhere where I'm just sitting around, I'll wait, I, I take my iPad with me and I sketch. That's a new thing to me. For years, I didn't sketch because I didn't have an opportunity to sketch. Again, I don't think it's a it's a good thing. I think I think we should, you know, if we have a, a little pocket notebook that we can carry around, we should sketch. And I used to do that. I remember, like in school, I would always doodle in my whatever accounting um, notebooks or. Like I always felt like sketching. I just never really uh, was consistent about it, which is not a good thing. Yeah, and I think that is a huge. I do the same thing with an iPad because it's it's two tools. It's the screen, um, you know, and whether you have the keyboard or not, and the pencil. And yeah. then I, I what uh, app are you using? Uh, I use Procreate. Okay. I actually uh, switched to designing my coins in Procreate completely, wow. which uh, I you know sometimes I start by. I do have a sketchbook, but it's very much like I don't take it around with me. It's just something to come up with ideas uh, first. Then I take a picture with my iPad and then I quickly switch to iPad and I um, do a drawing um, that's uh, more precise on an iPad. But yeah, that's sort of been my workflow. It was a lot more um, cumbersome in the past where I had to scan it and then bring it to Photoshop, open it on Cintiq. Now it's like instant. So And Within Procreate, are there certain brushes that you prefer in mm-hmm. doing your work? I use only two brushes um, that come with Procreate. I know there are a lot of um, artists using and even making their own brushes. I am completely happy with what they have. There is one airbrush uh, that they use, and uh, I use that for shading. Okay. Um, and uh, for line work, I'm really sorry. I actually can't remember on top of my head, but it's uh, the basic ink ink brush that uh, you can vary the thickness of the stroke okay. from, from thick to thin. You'll see, like, for example, my uh, coloring book is coming out next week um, and entirely done with one brush. So I'm kind of boring that way. <laughs> I just <laughs> may, make do with uh, what they have, but I find it completely um, sufficient. Like, I, I don't need anything else. I'm just actually just enjoying the app so much that um yeah <laughs> not looking for anything new <laughs> very happy customer i'm really uh, curious because with ipad os 13 which is going to come out probably in about three weeks um the response time on the pencil is going to drop by over half in procreate so i'm wondering i'll be curious i'm going to probably poke at you through instagram to find out yeah, if yeah. you after you update um, if you notice that difference because i think it could it could be enough that it would be noticeable. I, I don't notice a lag at all, mm-hmm. but it's going to be interesting to see that uh, whether that that decrease. I think from was it twenty to nine milliseconds or something is going to be noticeable. Jeez, um, I, I think that's going to make a difference in um, like when you're working on Photoshop because they're also coming out with uh, um, right. 
uh, Adobe apps for uh, iPad. And that's very exciting because obviously you can do a bit more in Photoshop. I think it's going to make a huge difference to artists who work entirely digitally and actually color digitally. I do primarily black and white work. So for me, probably not as critical, but I'm obviously very excited and will enjoy the heck out of it. Yeah, there is a new Adobe drawing app coming out, right? I think September. And, yes. End of September. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's going to have a lot of um, watercolor brushes. Okay. <laughs> From what I understand, I, I watched a few promo videos, and um, I think their watercolor brushes will be a lot more powerful and like, like the blending capabilities. Uh, will be closer to the real thing because it's um, so far I haven't seen anything that um, resembles kind of the fluidity of watercolor on screen. Um, So that's why I use it only for like the line art, um, not so much for color work. Uh, But it's interesting. I mean, we live in such an amazing time where our mediums are changing, right? And uh, technology is just bringing more opportunities. So uh, I think it's super exciting. And um, I'm just... I'm just really pumped to try it. So Yeah, my my 13-year-old daughter, uh, she started drawing really more so on an iPad. And it's mm-hmm. not even an iPad Pro, it was an iPad with the with the um the Wacom uh, bamboo pencil. Yeah. And now she's doing watercolor. So she's going from the digital to the analog medium. And I know that there's a bunch of art people out there right now that are thinking, no, that's not, you shouldn't do it that way. You've got to start with the essentials. But for her, that extension makes sense. And I, I'm, I'm so happy that we can expose kids to the analog and the digital and for that experience to be good and to produce such amazing work relative to it was what it was maybe 10 years ago, right? Completely agree. I think, you know, there's a lot of like, oh, you know, you have to start with traditional media to be good. No, you have to try everything. It's it's there. It's uh, it's amazing. You can do things. Like I give my five-year-old my um, uh, iPad Pro when he behaves. <laughs> You're uh, brave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, like for like 10 minutes and, uh, you know, he's trying to mess up my palettes, but every once in a while he actually draws something and he's very exciting. You can see kind of like as, whatever you do, like with kids, whatever it is that inspires them to do more, whether it's watercolor, traditional watercolor, or your tablet, it doesn't matter as long as they're excited. Like, I, I really believe in that. I was very lucky because my parents early on really encouraged me to, like, push me to try everything I wanted to try. And eventually I stumbled upon folk art, but I would have never uh, had that experience have I not tried everything else before then. So, you know, being open and kind of exposing your kids to to art in every possible way, I think, is a positive thing. And so maybe with that, is there something you want to try uh, creatively that you haven't done yet? Um, um, in terms of like a dream project or a dream commission? Maybe. I mean, I'll leave that open to you. Uh, you know, I was thinking if there's a, a type of media that you haven't worked with before that you would like to try or there's something that's compelling. Um, yeah. Or- um, so I've, uh, I really actually enjoy uh, painting like large scale work. And not very suitable for watercolor. I mean, you can't really go create a huge mural with a watercolor. I've done a few murals for the city of Toronto, and it's it's a completely different experience where, you know, you have an entire wall or like a huge canvas. I 
I made a couple of uh, acrylic paintings early on, um, but very quickly realized with, with little kids, you can't have that around. Mm -hmm. So I think when the kids are older, that's definitely on my list. Like I, I'd like to go back to acrylic. I, I want to work on canvas and I want to work large scale because a lot of my ideas that I have in my head, that, that backlog that I'm talking about mm -hmm. in, my, in my head includes um, uh, large scale paintings. I think it's a different experience for a viewer. It's not maybe not as um, uh, magical as watching a tiny little flower, watercolor flower on Instagram, you know, seeing something that's like huge and maybe even like this as tall as you or bigger. I think that's uh, that's a different way of experiencing art. And uh, I have a lot of ideas. And so in a couple of years, <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm confident I can have that uh, around the house, I'll definitely go back to acrylics. Definitely. Well, I, I can guarantee we'll be watching. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. That's exciting. Uh, you talked a little bit about inspiration. And, you know, I, I think I already know the answer to the question based on the subjects that you draw. But what inspires you? Music. Um, I think that's, um, well, there, there's a certain process to it. So I would, I used to travel a lot uh, before kids. Um, I was lucky enough to travel to all sorts of magical places like um, all over Europe. I've been to Thailand, uh, obviously this side of the world. Um, so seeing other styles of art, whether it's in the museum or just on the street uh, or like, you know, some beautiful temple somewhere and the color combinations and, and uh, the nature around it. That's always super inspiring. But interestingly, um, I never like come away with specific ideas. I just sort of feel generally inspired. And then I kind of like I let it stew for a bit. Inevitably, you know, I come up with ideas that sort of marry, you know, my own style with what I saw. So I really uh, um, I miss travel, so hopefully there's some travel in the very near future for me. I also, like when I walk around, I walk around with my kids a lot, um, you know, with a stroller or just uh, taking my five-year-old somewhere. I take pictures everywhere. I take, well, he always complains. He's like, mom, why are you taking so many pictures of flowers? <laughs> I have uh, I have so many reference photos and again so lucky like we live in a time and age where you can just snap a really good quality photo with your phone. Um, so I take pictures of shapes, colors, leaves, everything. I bring it home and then I kind of think about it for a couple of days and uh, you know and then something comes up. <laughs> so. Now I, I know this is you know, you probably answered this because of your tight schedule, but uh, have you done any painting outside? Have you? I wish. Oh, no, not, not, uh, not in hard. a long time. That would be very difficult right now uh, with kids, but uh, uh, it's uh, plein air is definitely uh, a, a wonderful experience that can uh, kind of spark your creativity and then, you know, make you uh, come up with all sorts of new things. So, Definitely planning to do that as soon as I can. <laughs> well, a mural would get you outside, right? So, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, yeah, that's true. That's true. I've, do I've done the murals outside, and uh, it's always interesting. It's also very interactive. Like, it's one thing to paint late at night at your desk, and you know, maybe then you post something on Instagram and people comment, and that's lovely. And I really appreciate the that in kind of interactive aspect of social media. But it's completely different standing on the street and painting a mural and people passing by and asking you questions. And you're sort of like that process is so magical that, yeah. Are you typically an introvert or an extrovert when it comes to? I'm a huge introvert. So do you find it 
in the murals you've done, do you find that when you're done and you've interacted with these people, do you find that it takes some time to decompress and recover from that? 100%. So that's why I've only done a a couple. (laughs) (laughs) Because, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm... I prefer sort of offline interaction just because uh, of how I am, my character. But mm-hmm. that's not necessarily a good thing. Like you gotta push yourself uh, um, out of your comfort zone every once in a while. I, I I'm starting to get into teaching again, like per- like not online teaching, but um, you know teaching in person. Okay. Uh, and uh, the benefit for me is, uh, I think, being able to actually get instant feedback. Um, and have that um, aspect of human interaction. I think I was uh, pretty lucky because uh, until recently I had a daytime job, so I would get enough of uh, kind of human interaction during (laughs) during the day. And uh, painting at night by myself was a way to also decompress from that. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know how that's going to evolve. I'm probably going to be craving human contact a lot more. So we'll see. I've recently tried some plein air painting, and I personally find that challenging as well, where somebody comes up and says, oh, what are you doing? What are you working on? And in some ways, you have to explain, like, it's not done yet. I'm at this stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't judge me. Yeah. Uh, I'm not, you know, come back later or look online. I'll be done over there. But it is, I, I, I'm the same way. I find that if I do one of these experiences and you have enough people walking by you, you come home and it's like, that was really exhausting. It was great mm-hmm. because people, you know, you yeah. could see people almost motivated yeah. um, in what you're trying to achieve, but it is, it's not easy. It, it's not. And I think, you know, it's interesting because um, it kind of takes you out of that meditative zone, if you will, right? Like yeah. as soon as you have to answer questions, but I think it's good in, in small doses, whatever you're comfortable with to actually have that interaction. Because when you're, I find that when people ask you questions online, you can kind of think about it and, you know, you may choose to have a really brief answer or don't answer at all. But when when people ask you in person, and I do a lot of that, like when I go to Royal Canadian Mint events where people, like they meet the artist type thing, uh, when you have to speak about your work, it actually helps you structure your thoughts. And uh, if you understand yourself better and your own process better, then next time you're painting you're better at it because you're kind of, you you had that time to think it through and verbalize it. I find that to be very helpful actually. And that's what helped me in terms of online teaching and coming up with lessons. I had a lot of practice talking about my work before and it was always in person because you're kind of on the spot. Then you have time to reflect in coming, like if I wear my other hat for a while, not the artist hat, but, um, you know, as I mentioned, I was in marketing and operations for a while. If you, and what I've learned is like people who can really explain their process, really understand it, and then they can teach others. And I find that the same thing applies to art. If you talk about your work, you're forced to really get a deeper understanding of your own process. And that's how you get better in a way. And I think that leads perfectly into my next, and it's going to sound almost like a Skillshare ad, I think, but they are not sponsoring <laughs> this episode. Um, so you've done these online courses. Uh, so you've taken this journey now moving from uh, moving into teacher. And so you are forced, I guess, to, to talk about your skills. And so yeah. you've done, uh, was it three courses now on Skillshare? Yeah. I just started, I, I, I've done three courses. I, I started three months ago, so I do about a course a month. Okay. And has that been a, you know, for somebody who's thinking maybe of doing their own course, has that been a pleasant experience for you? 
very yeah it's it's challenging um for for different reasons that i can briefly mention uh, but it's definitely a different experience interacting as a teacher and i think you know i've uh, i've waited a long time to do that i never had like a burning desire to teach until i felt like i completely understand the medium and i know what i'm doing at least in a kind of narrow um space that i'm in which is uh, i teach watercolor um i feel confident that i can really um help people understand the medium and get better and i have a process that i've kind of perfected over the years um that gets results and i know that people like those results so it was it was time for me to share and also I had access to daylight <laughs> for the first time in years. So um, the the interesting part is, um, you know, you're obviously dealing with technology when you're uh, when you're teaching online. And for me, um, I took the time to, and you know, it costs money to to invest in in proper technology to do this, like the camera, the light, the mic. It takes time to think through the structure of a lesson, what you have to say. Um, and so like, I wanted to really deliver a good product. Um, the reason why I chose Skillshare as opposed to just selling my own individual classes is because I tried different platforms and I believe that, um, of all of them, again, this is not an ad for Skillshare, but this is just something to consider. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's a subscription model. So you can take my class for the same price a month. It's like $10 a month. You can take any class, not just art classes, they're marketing classes. I personally really enjoy taking uh, classes on pattern design. So you basically have access to thousands of people who are teaching. You can read the reviews and you're not paying for this one thing. Um, so I think people get better value out of it as opposed to like uh, buying an individual class, which, you know, those are also available on their platforms that do that. What I, what I found, uh, like what was a, the biggest learning for me is, you know, I teach pretty fairly advanced uh, botanical watercolors. When you have different types of audiences, like really early beginners or intermediate artists, you really need to slow it down. Um, and so I kind of was very um, optimistic and uh, put in way too much content and um, had to speed it up because you have to fit it in like an hour class. So I have to um, kind of now that I'm doing classes, I'm breaking it down into like more basic classes oriented towards beginners and more advanced ones where people can follow my brush strokes, uh, even if I uh, like speed up the video a little bit. So it's just, an, it, it's a little bit of, I guess, marketing strategy. Like how do you appeal to everyone and satisfy every customer? So I want to become a better teacher. I'm, I'm learning myself about the, those aspects of teaching that make you better. I consume a lot of content myself where I look at how really popular, really like good and effective classes are structured so that uh, whatever knowledge that's in my head, I can deliver in the way that's uh, the best for, for people who pay the money for this type of thing. Yeah. And I think having, you know, watched your videos, I think you're doing a fantastic job. And I think <laughs> that so. as long as you stay on that, on that road, I think uh, it's, it is really helpful for somebody who's, I'm speaking about myself here, who hasn't done a lot of watercolor. I learned so much without even putting a brush to paper. Um, Thank you. And so I think that I would encourage anyone listening, and we'll include links in the show notes to your uh, to your Skillshare site. Um, I would encourage you, you know, just sign up for a little bit and try it out because uh, I I do think it's um, 
it's fantastic. Yeah, and I'll give you a link, uh, Mike. It's uh, the one that gives you two months for free to try it out. Okay. So you don't you don't actually have to like uh, commit. You can always cancel it after two months. So you can try all their classes, not just my classes for free, um, and not just art classes. I mean, there's so many classes on social media, on uh, marketing, finances. Like it's it's just a, a cool place to explore. And yeah, I mean, I, I'm really grateful for the feedback and. Um, you know, I'm I'm, in, I'm encouraged by my students. I see it's really cool to see the projects that people come up with based on uh, my classes. It's just it's been such a source of joy for me that I never had before. And uh, it's just it's really wonderful. Yeah, and I think it's great when in following your Instagram feed that you that you post and repost the, the work of your students in some of the stuff they've done. And I think that's great. I think it's important when I was starting out, um, like I literally had like two posts on Instagram, maybe six years ago or whatever. I've reached out to, uh, an artist that's uh, hugely popular. I'm sure, you know, cause you're into drawing. It's uh, sketchy stories, Caribbean Rosanus. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I just send him an email because I really loved his work and, uh, he works in black and white. Um, uh, and even at the time, I think he had like hundred thousand followers. He has like a million right now. And, and he responded. And I was like, whoa, just the fact that he took time out of his day to respond to me. And again, I was like, not not even, I had like five posts. Nobody knew who I was. I didn't have any commercial work. The guy took the time to write me back and uh, said, said some encouraging things. I mean, that probably gave me energy to work and draw for the next 12 months. Like even if I didn't get any positive feedback after that, it meant so much. So I try to, and it's really, it's time consuming, but I think it's important because I get so much positivity from people online and even just being invited to your podcast. I mean, how amazing is that? Just having a chat. I feel like I have to give back and I try to respond to questions. I'm sorry if I ever miss anything because it's really a a long shuffle of um, updates. Usually Skillshare is a lot better because I um, get like a log of questions. I try to dedicate time every week to respond to people because I think it's so important to encourage people who are starting out. And sometimes I see like someone who's, you know, clearly just starting, like maybe even a teenager or or a person like me who's starting later in life. And you can see the talent, like you can see the raw talent. And I just want to be like, don't stop, just keep going. Like, you don't know, you can have your art on like on silver dollars in a couple of years. You don't (laughs) know. Like, this is amazing. I I just, it's so uh, magical and and to see like the potential in people. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's awesome. I think, and back to your point, I mean, the only reason we're on this podcast together is because uh, you responded to to me reaching out to you. And so yeah. I, I, I think it's great that you and so many artists are accessible to those who are starting out at any point in life. And uh, it really does mean a lot. Uh, it means a lot to me that uh, you guys want to talk to me. So it's, it's awesome. It's, it's really good. Thank you. From your perspective, if we were to give people homework around watercolor, drawing, you know, focusing on on your art, what would you recommend that people can try as a matter of a small project, some homework that they can do? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say right now, if you're in Canada, the leaves are just starting to get really beautiful, like red, and there's some green. I would say go outside, grab a couple of things that you see, like if it's a leaf or a flower, there's still some roses outside, and take a photo 
or you know if the leaf is just there on the ground just bring it home and try to paint it like don't think about oh you know i have to post it what will people say just just take the paints that you have and paint and don't forget to get good paper <laughs> that's, that's all i have to say like just paint what you love whatever it is that's on your mind whether it's uh you know your child or maybe your friend or or uh, an object in your house that you really really like that's colorful um or maybe just has a beautiful shape just paint it uh, that's a good point about uh, the fall colors. I've been thinking I'm going to have to uh, put myself in certain areas here in the uh, in the valley that I live in to uh, to be able to consume them as an artist this year, which I haven't done in the past. And, yeah, uh, we have beautiful nature, so I would say it's it's the inspiration is there. Um, just forget about uh, any kind of fear or concerns that you're not good enough because you are good enough as soon as you pick up the brush it's it's good enough you're an artist if you're painting that's awesome that's a really good idea i don't think uh you know we're so used to looking at screens the idea of of going out and looking for uh for nature and being able to translate that into uh art is is always uh good to hear so so anna where can people find you online people can find me on uh instagram it's uh sorry my name is pretty long uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll provide I'll, a link to it. If, yeah, if you can write it in the notes, but it's Anna.M, as in Mike, dot Bucciarelli. It's double C, double L. Um, you can also just go to my website. It's Anna Bucciarelli, one, one word, Anna Bucciarelli, double N, double C, double L, uh, dot com. You can search for me on Skillshare. I'm also, I just started a YouTube channel. Excellent. And enjoy. And if you have any questions to me specifically, you can also reach out. And like I said, I'll, I'll try to answer in as much detail as possible that's fantastic well thank you so much anna for joining me on this on this episode thank you for having me mike i i learned so much in your videos and and now i've uh i've got some notes i've got to follow up on just with our <laughs> conversation so thank you so much and i i hope that we can maybe uh talk again in the future as uh, even the new ipads would come out and if there's changes in that that it would be fantastic to have you back on Thank you. That would be great. Look forward to uh, listening to your other guests. And uh, thank you for reaching out. And I'm so happy I discovered your podcast. Thanks, Anna. Thanks so much. Have a great day, Mike. Thank you. You too. Show notes, including links to everything we discussed, can be found at drawinginspiration.fm slash 10. You can find links to all my social media accounts at drawinginspiration.fm, including my Instagram, which is Mike underscore Henley. I post all my work and works in progress. Follow me or tag me so I can see some of your wonderful work. Thanks for joining Anna and I, and keep drawing and painting. Theme music for this podcast is Acid Jazz, provided by Kevin McLeod. 